This is LEC Online Church. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. We are continuing our series that we've done through the summer entitled Countercultural. And uh, in that series, we are reminding ourselves that we live in the world, but we are not of the world. Now that distinction is important because I think as I've thought about it even this week, you and I are in fact missionaries to this world. Now we often think about missionaries as being someone that goes to a foreign land. But America is no longer, if it ever was, a Christian nation. We are a secular society. And Christ and Christianity competes in the marketplace with every other religion or non-religion. In fact, Shelly and I were watching track and field yesterday. We were watching a, an athlete from Ethiopia who was running the 10,000 meters. And she won. She's the world champion of the 10,000 meters. When she fell to the ground, she made the sign of the cross, Christianity. Then she did the prayer of Muslim, the Muslim to Allah. And I thought, she's just touching all the bases here. Whichever God you're interested in. And that's the world today. I spent some hours with one of the teenagers in our church uh, this week he's trying to learn how to drive and I wanted to be a part of that so I'm helping to teach him to drive and we spent four or five hours in the car and it was a fascinating discussion at times to listen to this young man talk about the world in which he's growing up. A world with many gods and a world that basically is adopting a pluralism that says you have your God, I got my God, let's all get together. Oprah Winfrey was the one, I guess, that got the most credit for saying there are many ways to get to heaven, many ways to get to God, many different paths. No, there's only one, Jesus Christ. And if you can't encounter, embrace, accept Jesus Christ, you can't get to heaven. No matter how good you are, no matter what you are. And so in this world where you and I live, we're missionaries, emissaries, ambassadors, of Jesus Christ in a world where you work, where you go to school, where you live, in your neighborhoods. You're a missionary. Carrying the message of Jesus. And it's so true because so much of our society has become, as I said, so secular. I read some statistics this week that are just mind-boggling to me. Millennials... Those born between 1981 and 1996, where are you? Raise your hand. Born from 81 to 96, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of it. Your generation, just more than 20% of your generation believes in God. Now let that, let that get in your head. So if you met 10 people that were born between... 20, uh, that were born between 81 and 96, you met 10 of them, only two of them really believe in God. 
If you go deeper into the Gen Z generation, 96 to 2012, where are you at? Hold your hand up. Born 97 to 2012. It's less than 20%. That believe that God exists, believe that His Word is true. In fact, Gallup said the other day that their recent survey, 20% of American adults, now this is across all generations, only 20% of American adults believe God's Word is actually true. And as I explained to the young man that I spent time with this week, what happens in a society that doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe that God's Word is true, then what do you build the moral code on? Where is right and wrong defined? How then do you decide how to live? Well, in that kind of society, you are left to do whatever you feel like is right in your own heart. So people choose things that you go, how? No, it's because they don't believe in God. They don't believe God's word is true. And so therefore, they're just finding their way through it. We're seeing a lot of this take place in American culture as it relates to sexuality. And people are saying, just let us be who we want to be. And they try to make you feel guilty if you hold any standard in front of them. Because they feel that they have the right to do whatever they want to do. I said to Shelly a few days ago when we were talking about this, I said, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, as they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, Romans chapter 1. They did not want to retain God in their knowledge. God turned them over to a reprobate mind to do whatever they so chose to do. And brothers and sisters, that's where we're living today. So in fact, we are missionaries. That's why this series is so important. For you to realize that God has positioned you, placed you, as a countercultural representative in the world. That there is a better way. There is a different way in which God has called man to live on this earth. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, for the power of your word. And I thank you for the privilege this morning to teach and preach this message that you have given me. And I pray, Father, now that you will accomplish in this room everything that you desire to do. May every heart be open. May we see the things that we could never see without your help. May we sense and recognize, God, how you are helping us. People that are watching me online right now, God, I pray for the ability to speak into their hearts and their lives that they may know that God is at work in their life today. And I give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Just hold right there a second. I'm going to have you stand in just a moment. We're going to read beginning with verse 7 in Matthew, chapter 7. We're talking about prayer today. And I've decided to start with this line right here. You ready? Everybody looking at me? I don't always like my prayer life. I don't always like the way I pray. I don't always like the way prayer operates in my life. Now, I know prayer is important. I'm not saying that I don't pray. I try to pray as often as I can. But sometimes I struggle. I believe God's word is true. 
but I struggle. I know that God wants me to pray. I know that praying is important, and I know that supernaturally, God does His best work in me when I pray. I can always tell when I'm not praying well. But when I pray, God does His best work in my life. I'm in the best state of mind. I'm in the best place. But I confess to you this morning, the challenge to teach and preach this to you is that I'm not perfected in my own prayer life. And I'm not coming to you this morning as if to tell you that I have all the answers. In fact, many months ago when Pastor Dustin and I started preparing for this series, as I was outlining, he was outlining, we were working through this, in this particular section, I wrote the words, The Secret to Answered Prayer. I've stayed with that, although I don't know that I have a secret. I don't know that I know the secret. But what I do have this morning is a conviction that God wants to speak to you and me and this church about prayer. I believe God is calling us to prayer. In fact, on August the 7th, which is a few Sundays away from now, we're going to be calling the church to a time of prayer and fasting, 21 days of prayer and fasting beginning on August the 7th. I believe God is calling us to pray. And I believe that God's promise is to the church that if you pray, I'll help you. I'll bless you. I'll hear you. I'll respond to you. And so this morning we're going to talk about prayer. Let's stand together for the reading this morning from Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. A very familiar passage to some of you. Verse 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? You may be seated. I said earlier that Gallup had researched American Christians or people of faith and discovered that only 20% of people actually believe the Bible is true. Well, there's another thing that came out of that survey that 9 out of every 10 people in America claim that they pray every day. Yet only 23% of them said that they find satisfaction and fulfillment in their praying. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's me. Pray every day. Nine out of ten people pray every day. Some part of that day they're praying. And yet only 23% of them, of us, say, I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled in my praying. Someone said prayer is an expression of who we are. We are living 
incompleteness. We are an emptiness that calls out to be fulfilled. Maybe you're like Philip Yancey who wrote, Most of my struggles in my Christian life circle around two themes. The first is why God doesn't act the way that I want Him to. And the other is why don't I act the way God wants me to. And it's at that point where those two lines intersect that prayer does its greatest work. Because all of us at times struggle to find the words to say to God what we want, what we need, how we feel, what's going on. So the question is, why is it that you and I are not more fulfilled in our own praying? Well, maybe science and technology has affected our relationship to prayer. I read this the other day. I thought this was so, so true. Farmers used to lift their heads to the heavens and plead to, for an end to the drought. Now they study maps, observe low pressure systems, and dig irrigation canals. It seems that we don't depend on miracles anymore. Parents used to call on the Lord in the middle of the night with fervency for a sick child. Now we dial the online phone service for our pediatrician and wait for a non-duty nurse to call us and tell us what to do. Prosperity changed the way that we live and we pray. It's not the same to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread when our cupboards and shelves are full. It could be that our prayers are not fulfilling because we're not desperate anymore. We have a self-fulfilling, self-sustaining posture about life. As I said a few weeks ago, we have a tendency at times to say, I've tried everything else, so I guess I'll pray now. Instead of saying, before I try anything, I'm going to pray first. When was the last time that you prayed a prayer of absolute desperation? God, I don't have anything else. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. We are now a people of short communication, text messaging, emails, FaceTime, instant messenger. And we're not committed to invest the time sometimes that prayer requires to really find fulfillment. We're so often distracted by the clamor and activity that's around us. It's hard for us to listen to the voice of God. I'll say more about this in a, in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be preaching to you about that. But it's so clear to me that you and I have so much noise in our head. So much noise in our lives. So many people speaking to us. So many people telling us what they think, what they want us to know. That we can't always hear the voice of God. We can't always sense and know God is near trying to help us. Here's the truth. God wants to talk to you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God wants to talk to you. Turn to the other neighbor and tell him, God's got something he wants to say. The question is, are you listening? I'm not 35 anymore, in case you're wondering. And in one of my ears... My hearing is diminished. 
And it is so strange that it always seems to be on the side of the room where Shelly is. It's embarrassing. Some of you have hearing disabilities as well, deficiencies. You understand what I'm saying? I'm always so embarrassed to have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. I, I've had it tested, and what they tell me is that the problem is that I don't catch low tones well, and that my hearing is distracted by the other noise that's going on around me. So if you're standing by me and you're trying to talk to me and there's a lot of clamor going on or like in a restaurant, it, it's really hard for me to hear and focus on what you're saying. I do a lot of nodding. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I understand. Yes, yes. But the truth is that there are times when I don't hear. And the Lord spoke to me this week about that and said, that's what's wrong with my people. They have a deficiency in hearing. There's so much noise, so much racket, so many things going on. Jesus said that there, that there are people whose ears are dull of hearing. They have ears, but they don't hear. And I'm saying to you, to me, to our church, to our community, God wants to talk to us. He wants to say to us things that are important to our success and life and Peace, but we're not listening. Sometimes we don't listen because we don't like it. Sometimes we don't listen because we're simply not paying attention. I need you to know this morning that prayer is a two-way communication between you and God. It's not you just simply talking and telling God stuff, but it's you also learning how to listen so that God can speak to you. Again, I'll say more about this later, but, but I just think it's so important that we start learning again how to listen for the voice of God, how to hear God's voice. When was the last time that you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this time and I'm going to get into a prayer posture, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to listen and wait for the Lord. I'm going to practice the presence of God and listen to what God is trying to say. So for a few minutes this morning, I want to offer a couple of things that I think this passage just, just elevates to us to help us to know how to pray more effectively. The first is the word persistence. Everybody say persistence. That's what he said, didn't he? Keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Don't just do it one time, keep doing it. Keep asking, keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking. He goes on to say the person who does that, the one that keeps on praying, keeps on asking are the ones that get the answers. He, in another, another of the Gospels, in this, with this passage here, he told the story of a woman who had need for a judge to rule in her favor. But he didn't. And she persistently kept coming back to him. And eventually he heard her and responded to her. And Jesus said he responded not because he cared about her, but because he was tired of her constant persistence. If you're a mother of a small child or a grandparent of a small child, you understand exactly what Jesus said. Mommy, 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 mommy. Granny, 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 granny. But then Jesus helps us by saying, 
Hear the story of the unjust judge. How much more will your heavenly father respond to those who cry out without stopping to him? Persistence matters with God. Not just that you pray, but that you continue to pray. And I want to highlight it in two, two little sub-words here. The first is pursuing. This idea of pursuing God. It's such a challenge for believers in American culture, Western culture, because we live in a time of instant gratification. We get all of our answers quickly, instantaneously. The World Wide Web, the opportunity to load a page on our phone or our device so quickly, get the answers that we want. But prayer doesn't work that way. God's not an ATM machine. You have to pursue him. And Jesus, the, the prophet said this in Jeremiah. He said, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. There must be a persistent pursuit of God. It's not about prayers of convenience. It's not about words that impress. But it's about an attitude that says, I'm not going to stop talking to you about this until there's an answer. God wants to know the sincerity of your heart. I love you. Didn't you always know that when your parents started like that, you were in trouble? I loved you, but... You know what I've started noticing around Lake Erie? How flippantly we treat prayer in this church. You'll see people walk out while we're praying. You'll see people walk in while we're praying. As if it's not sacred, it's not holy to pray. You'll see people winding their watch while we're praying. You'll see people fiddling around with stuff, reading something, looking at their phone, playing with their iPad while we're praying. It's because we don't have that pursuit of God in prayer. We're not desperate and hungry for God to answer. Prayers become a ritual. It's become something that we just do. And as a result, we've missed the point that God said, if you want, to, you want me to hear you when you pray, you have to pursue me. And you have to have a hunger and a conviction about it. James chapter 5 verse 16 in the Amplified Version says, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or a believer can accomplish much. Heartfelt meaning sincere. Persistent meaning stay after it. God is not saying you're going to find me the moment that you seek me. But he does promise this. You'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Your prayers will be more effective, more fulfilling. When your prayer life is about God, I want to chase you. I said to a young couple in our altar a few months ago, somewhere over here in this area, I was praying with them, and I said to both of them, God's not playing games with you anymore. You have to decide that you're going to chase him. That you're going to go after him with your whole heart, with all that you are. So many times I think we, we just have such a cavalier, casual approach about the way that we approach the sovereign God. 
And we don't appreciate the fact of how important it is when Jacob in Genesis 32 needed to get an answer to the challenge that was going on with his brother Esau. The Bible said that he, in chapter 32 he wrestled with an angel of the Lord all night long. I'm not going to ask you to show it, but when was the last time you prayed all night long? When was the last time I prayed? Shelly tells this amazing story, and I have her permission this morning to tell it. I may fumble some of the details, and if you're unsure, go ask her. She'll tell you the whole story. But she tells me that as a teenage girl growing up in this church, there was a crisis in her life. Something that she needed a breakthrough for. She was up against it, and she wasn't finding resolution, and it was wearing on her. She was struggling. And so she asked the pastor if she could remain after church. Without anybody here in the building, that time I guess it would be Call Road. Was it Call Road or was it Antioch? Antioch. She just stayed there all day until God gave her the breakthrough. Somewhere in that, that afternoon of seeking after the Lord, God gave her the breakthrough. And by the time that she got home, she said there was such a remarkable and significant breakthrough in her life. You know why? Because she was chasing Him. I'm not going to let go, Jacob said, until you bless me. I'm not going to give up this pursuit until you do what I need you to do. That persistence is also about being present when we pray. I love this quote. I read it this week, and it's so powerful. It says, it occurred to me one day that though I often worry about whether or not I sense God's presence in my prayers, I give very little thought to whether God can sense my presence. Are you present when you pray? Here's the second principle in, this, in the passage about humility. About humility. We've said this so many times here. I've preached about humility quite a bit, but humility is one of those things that you can't often define it or describe it, but you know it when you see it. And the Bible says that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, what is that passage we quote so often here? If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. The key there is to humble themselves, call upon my name, humble themselves before the Lord, seek my face. Now, humility doesn't mean that I'm groveling. Don't miss the point. I'm a child of the king. There's a passage in Hebrews 4 that I used to preach a lot out of years ago and it talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace and I used to use the analogy of how sometimes we, we even change our voice when we talk to God. You ever notice that? You know, we're talking like this, we start praying, Oh, my heavenly Father, oh God Jehovah who rules and reigns. And then we, we even talk in a different language. Thou that comes down, would you come us down? Among, no, God's like, what's wrong with you? That's not the way my children talk to me. When they need something, they just came in and said, Dad, I need 20 bucks. Dad, I need the keys to the car. Dad, can I have a cookie? There was a boldness about it. You know why? Because they knew that they were my children that I was their father and that I loved them. So my humility doesn't mean I'm groveling before the Lord. 
I traveled to Mexico City one time with a group of students on a trip and we went to the Cathedral of the Guadalupe Virgin outside of Mexico City. And literally people were crawling on the brick sidewalks and beating themselves trying to get God's attention. I'm trying to tell you, you don't have to do that to get God's attention. God's not asking you to humiliate yourself, but He is saying, come to me with a, an attitude that you are my child and you know that I love you and you know that I want to help you. Let your humility be recognizing who you are and who I am. Humility simply means that I have a perspective about my relationship to the God of the universe. I meant to bring the picture, and maybe next week I'll have Shane dig it up for you, but did you see that picture that came out this week with the new satellite telescopes that the United States NASA has done and they've gone out into the far reaches of the outer space? And they were showing this one, like, ball of fire or light or whatever, and they said, inside that light potentially are 10,000 more galaxies the size of our Milky Way. I thought, my God, how big is God? To get to that galaxy, it is impossible to mathematically comprehend how long it would take you to get there. And the God that you're about to pray to in a moment says, the earth is where I put my feet. How big is God? The handiwork, the firmament show His power, the Bible says. How awesome is God? Humility simply recognizes that this is His world, not mine. He's God and I'm not. And I need Him. I need Him every day. And so I pray in order to make sure that I have the right relationship with Him. Prayer exposes my smallness at the same time expands and reveals God's bigness. So it looks something like this. God, I'm a broken man. Please heal me. You know what you just did? You recognized your smallness, his greatness. God, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Would you supply that need for me? God, I have cancer. I don't know what to do, but trust you. So God, would you heal me? It's the sincerity of our hearts that says to God, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate to know you. I'm desperate to hear from you. I'm desperate to walk with you to be yours, to have relationships, to allow you to speak into my life so that I can be the man or the woman that you want me to be. Here's the third and last one, faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Stop right there. Impossible to please God without faith. Then he says, anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Our prayers must have two things. They must have a conviction that God is real and God is powerful. 
And they must have a, an expectation that God will answer prayer when we pray. Impossible to please God without faith. You have to believe that God will. Just a few moments ago while we were worshiping right there, standing right there, I said to God, I know you will. I believe it. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. I don't know how. In fact, there's a song I love to hear right now. It's out there. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you will. Don't know how you're going to make a way, but I know you will. It's the faith and confidence that says God is faithful and God is just and God is true and God keeps his word and whatever's going on in this world, God is not too busy to hear me. He's not too busy to hear me. So here's my closing question. As a people, as a believer, as a pastor, as a staff member, elder, volunteer, Attender, visitor, guest. Do we still believe in prayer? Do we still believe that prayer works? Then let us become people of prayer. If we believe prayer works. Let us be a church. Let's join together as a church and pray. Because the Bible is very clear that if we believe, He will hear us when we pray. How many of you believe that? Just hold your hand up if you believe that. I know you do. Hands down. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you were here last Sunday, you remember that I said encouraged you to spend this week in a time of prayer and that I would encourage you to start every prayer with the same three phrases. You remember that? So take your right hand and place it over your heart. And repeat after me. God, I love you. We'll try it again. God, I love you. God, I know that you love me. So I worship you. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.